So we are in the middle of chapter 39, and we just finished looking at the incredible world of Atsilas, which is really beyond our ken. Atsilas is not really a world. The Altarebbe calls the world of Atsilas later on in Tanya, Elekus Mamish, godliness itself. It is such a lofty world that a being can't really exist there. Why can't a being exist in the world of Atsilos? Because Atsilos expresses the truth of reality. The truth of reality is, in the words of the prophet Yirmiyahu, Hashem Elohim Emes. God, your Lord, is true. Only Hashem is true. Hashem is the only reality. The Baal Shem Dev taught us to look deeper in the prayer that we say every day, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Achad. Hear, O Israel, God our Lord, God is one. It doesn't just mean that God is the only authority, the only ruler, the only deity. It actually means that God is the only reality. If a being comes to recognize the truth of reality, that means they no longer exist. Being a being... Having an existence as a being is predicated on the fact that you sense yourself as being other. If you are exposed to the truth of reality, that there is nothing else besides Hashem, you no longer have an existence as a being. So in that world of Atsilas, there should be no room for a being other than Hashem. That world is completely transparent to the truth of reality that there's nothing else besides Hashem. And yet, remarkably, astonishingly, unbelievably, we're going to learn that there are souls who ascend to that world of Atsilas. It should be impossible. And the altar is going to explain to us what it is about these souls that makes them inhabitants of that world, which again, is not really a world. And it expresses a truth that is beyond the scope of a created being. And yet there are souls of certain people who are at home in the world of Atsilas. So here we are, depending on your booklet, we're either on page 10 of 19 or 12 of 22. I think that's how it goes. Okay, so we just finished this thought. That therefore their thought cannot grasp there at all, meaning the thought and intellect of the created beings of Berea can in no way grasp the light radiating in Atsilas. Lachain, therefore, who madur latzadikim hagadilim, Atsilas is the abode of the great tzadikim. What makes them inhabitants of that world? Remember when we looked at the four worlds. Previously, we looked at the nature of each of the worlds, and in order to exist there, you have to have a common ground with that world. Just like in our physical reality, in order to be in tune to sounds, you need ears to be in tune to sounds. In order to be in tune to vision, you need eyes. There has to be some type of relationship between what you are connecting to and you yourself, that you share something that you can connect on that level. So we looked at the world of Yetzira and we learned that that's in a world of, that's a world of divine emotion. And somebody who serves Hashem with instinctive love and fear means they tap into their natural instinct that they truly love Him, that they truly fear Him. Their natural abode is going to be that world of divine emotion. Somebody who reaches higher than that 
and taps into their intellect in order to serve Hashem. They contemplate upon Him. They think about His greatness. And their understanding becomes so real to them that emotions are generated in response. And they palpably feel emotions in their heart of love and fear towards Hashem. These are intellectually produced emotions. And these souls become inhabitants of the world where Hashem's divine intellect, as it were, shines. That's the world of Bria. That's the highest place we can reach as far as our human grasp. What's higher than our intellect? And yet, there is something that allows a soul to be an inhabitant in a world of Atsilas where intellect has no grasp. We learned last week that just as the leg can't see, and that wasn't the example that we used then, but this is the example that the Tzamaq Tzedek uses in Mitzvah HaAmanes Aleikos. Just like the leg can't see, the mind cannot grasp the divine. It is beyond the scope of the mind. So if he is not graspable by intellect, how does a soul relate to him in that world where it is beyond the intellect? So al says like this, he describes the service of these great tzaddikim. She'avaydasam hi lemaila maila afilu mibchinais dechilu urechimu hanemshachais minhabina vada'as vidulasa yisbarech, whose service of God is far superior even to fear and love derived from understanding and knowing his greatness. So let's look at somebody who is on that high level of having love and fear based on their mind. They reach a deep level of surrender to Hashem. It is called Bittel Hayesh, nullification of the ego, nullification of self-consciousness. That's a level you can reach with your mind. When you ponder Hashem's greatness, when you come to truly recognize his exaltedness as best as a human being can, or each person according to their own abilities, they become surrendered to Hashem. However, that level of surrender is similar to the level of a surrender of a servant who's very devoted to his master, let's say the king. He is so devoted, he does anything that the king wants, he's totally committed to him, he doesn't have any private agenda or interests, But does he have a will of his own? Of course he does. He's a human being. Everybody has a will of their own. That's normal. That's natural. That's to be expected. That's the level of surrender that somebody reaches when they're on the level of Bria, when they're on the level of intellect. But Hasidus talks about another level of surrender. And this is way beyond Bittel Hayesh, surrender of the ego. This is called Bittel Bimitzios, nullification in existence. A person who is surrendered to Hashem at that level is beyond a devoted servant. He is like a chariot. We spoke about this idea before, who has no will of his own. It's not like the chariot wants to go here and the rider wants to go there. From the very outset, from the very inception, initially a chariot doesn't have a will of its own. It's only there to take the rider wherever the rider wants to go. This is somebody who lives at such a high level of surrender that is beyond even the mind. So their level is way beyond understanding, way beyond 
their, their service of Hashem is superior even to love and fear derived from understanding and knowing Hashem's greatness. Just as Atzilos transcends by far the level of understanding and knowledge of a created being's intellect. So before we were wowed by the world of Bria, and we should be, to be able to reach that level where a person is able to use their intellect and generate emotions and serve Hashem from a deep awareness of Him is incredible. That uses the mind. There is a world that is way beyond the mind. And by the way, a tzaddik who operates on that level, it doesn't mean he doesn't use his mind. He uses his mind way more than the rest of us do. But his mind only serves as a channel for the divine. So the Alter now describes their service. Their service is rather on the level of an actual chariot of the blessed Ein Sof. So let's look at great people in history who served Hashem at that level. The examples given are the patriarchs, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We visited this story before, the binding of Isaac, where Hashem tells Abraham to slaughter his son or to bring up his son as an offering to him. Now, Avraham is going to take the knife in order to carry out this request of Hashem. And the Torah says, Vayishlach Avraham and Avraham sent forth his hand. What does it mean he sent forth his hand? Who sends forth their hand? You want to use your hand? Your auto hand automatically responds. Send forth their hand. The reason why Avram had to send forth his hand because he was a Merkava. He was a chariot. Nothing of his body moved, not even his little finger, if not for the divine will. Was Hashem's will really that Avraham should slaughter Yitzchak? No. His body was so in tune that it wouldn't take the knife. He had to send forth his hand. Because his body was a Merkava, a chariot to the divine will. And its natural instinct was not to take the knife. That was someone at the level of Avraham. That was someone at the level of Merkava. We see, we see too about Moshe Rabbeinu. The, the sages of the Talmud say, The divine presence spoke out of his throat. You read in, in the Chumash Devar in the Mishnah Torah where Moshe Rabbeinu is recounting the Torah to the Jewish people and he says the second paragraph of Shema that we say every day, if you will listen to my mitzvahs. And he keeps switching back and forth to say, between saying me, my, to Hashem, your God. Who's speaking here? He's switching back and forth because he is so totally identified with Hashem that he doesn't even see the difference. This is someone who lives on the level of Merkava. It's not just that they are so deeply surrendered that they put aside their own will in order to carry out the will of Hashem. They are so deeply surrendered, they don't have a private will. They don't have a will of their own. Now you can say, wow, I mean, what, what kind of life is that? You know what? That is the most pleasurable enjoyable, delightful kind of life that there is. 
because the truth of all reality is Hashem. And a tzaddik who lives on that level is so completely surrendered to the inner core of reality, to his deepest life force, that he doesn't have a separate sense of self. Like if someone says, my hand, you know their hand is hurting them. They didn't say my hand hurts, you just say my hand. How do you know their hand is hurting them or bothering them in some way? Because you shouldn't feel your hand. You shouldn't have a separate sensation of some part of your body. When somebody feels perfectly healthy, then every limb of their body is totally surrendered to the life force circulating within. There is no constriction and they don't feel anything as separate. As soon as someone feels something separate, you know that there's a constriction. Somebody who lives on the level of Merkava is so deeply surrendered, they have no private existence. All they do is express the deepest core of everything. They don't have a private will. They are the most healthiest aligned individual that there could be. Not everyone can reach that level, but there are individuals who have the capacity to reach that level. The Altar Rebbe calls them tzaddikim gedolim, great tzaddikim. There's the ordinary tzaddikim. They abide in the world of Bria. But these tzaddikim gedolim, these great tzaddikim, they're of a whole different caliber, beyond the mind. They are the caliber of a Merkava, a chariot. Total surrender to Hashem. Total expression channels of the deepest core nature of reality. Okay, so their service is on the level of the chariot, of the blessed Einsaif. V'libatel elav b'metzios, ulihikalel ba'ayre yesvarech nullifying their very existence before him and incorporating themselves within his light. So that's themselves personally. No private will, no private agenda. All they do is express the divine and it's not just them, it's also their possessions. The Alter Rebbe says, Haim v'chol asher lahem. They and everything that they possess. So we learned in chapter 37 that when we use our wealth, when we use our assets, when we use anything that we own in service of Hashem, that serves as a chariot for him. That's just a regular individual. We can all do that. And in fact, the Rebbe Rashab says that if you want to truly utilize everything properly, think about what its divine purpose is and use it only for that and you will be carrying out the divine will. And that's even within the axis of a regular person. When somebody lives at the level of Merkava, everything that they have is always a chariot for the divine. They never use anything for any other interest. There isn't even a split second when they say this pencil is going to serve something else besides a divine purpose. When they're totally surrendered, nothing has any other interest. There's a very interesting Midrash where... The Torah writes that, that Vayizra Yitzchak Zera, Isaac planted seed. And I'm going to quote to you here from the Midrash. And Rabbi Lezer asked a question and he says, Did Isaac, God forbid, sow the seed of corn? What do you mean, God forbid, sow corn? What does it mean? Did he, God forbid, sow produce? 
Isn't that normal? Aren't we supposed to plant? That's the way of the world. Hashem wants us to be involved in the world, to plant, to reap. And what does he answer? He said that he was planting tzedakah. And he quotes from the Nevi, Zero lechem letzedakah, kitzru lefi chesed. Sow to yourself in charity, reap according to kindness. What's the problem with sowing wheat? But Isaac, Yitzchak, was on the level of Merkava. And everything he did was only with divine purpose. When he was planting wheat, what did he see? He saw its purpose in Sedaka. It wasn't like, yeah, just like a regular person, right? They sow wheat, they get involved in business, they do their ordinary affairs, and then they dedicate a part of it to Hashem. His initial outlook from the very outset, as he set forth to plant his wheat, he was very, very wealthy. All of his business affairs, he saw the divine ultimate purpose in it. And when he was planting wheat, to him, he was planting tzedakah. That is somebody who lives on this total aligned consciousness where they have no separate identity. They're completely and totally spiritually wholesome and healthy. That all they do is express the divine will. Through the observance of the Torah and the mitzvot. Our sages applied such a description to the patriarchs, saying that they themselves constituted the divine chariot. For this was the patriarch's level of service throughout their lives. So we look at Ezekiel's prophecy of the chariot, Yechazkel Hanavi describing the chariot. He describes Hashem's throne on top of angels, Shrafim, Chayes, Efani HaKaydesh. And the Kliyahar explains in a simple meaning that just as in the heavenly realms, God, as it were, rests and manifests himself through the angels, down here in the lower worlds, how does Hashem, where does Hashem dwell? How does he manifest himself? Through the patriarchs, through people on the level of the patriarchs. They constitute the divine chariot. They carry the divine idea and they manifest it. And through them, Hashem is recognized. Our sages said about them, they are their merkava. So on a simple level, it means that they express the divine in the world. But on on, on a mystical level, it means that they are a chariot. It means they have no private will, no private interest, interest. They are just an expression of the divine. A student of the Magad of Mezrich, the Magad of Mezrich was the teacher of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. One of his colleagues, Rebleib Sarah, so he was a student of the Magad of Mezrich. He said that he came to his teacher, the Magad, not to hear him teach Torah, not to watch him teach Torah. He came to him to watch him tie his shoelaces. Because somebody of that caliber does nothing without ultimate divine purpose. And he wanted to see how a mundane human act, such as tying shoelaces, is carried out with somebody who has a complete divine consciousness. And this is the Merkava. So somebody who lives on that kind of level, where they have no private existence, they don't have a will that they then subdue and submit to the will of Hashem. Their will is Hashem's will. Are they a being for themselves? Not really. 
And that's why they can abide in this world that doesn't have a separate consciousness. That world of Atsilas expresses the divine truth that there's nothing else besides Hashem. And a being who lives on that kind of level, no private interests, no private will, except for the will of Hashem, just a chariot to the divine will, they abide in that lofty world of Atsilas. The patriarchs were constantly in that state of self-nullification before Hashem, denoted by the term chariot. Similarly, in the case of the tzaddikim spoken of here, through their Torah and mitzvot, they affect the highest degree of self-nullification before God in themselves and in all their affairs. The abode of their souls, therefore, is likewise in a world pervaded with this spirit of self-nullification, namely the world of Atsilas. So yes, only people who live on that kind of level abide in that world. Altreb is now going to talk about people who do not have the capacity to live in that world. And he will explain to us why. And yet, on some occasions, they have the privilege of rising up to that world of Atsilas. Now you can think, huh, we're thinking about, we're speaking about Atsilas over here. Like what connection do we have to this? But the truth is, let's recall the talks of the Rebbe where he said that even ordinary people have some level of connection, even if it is in just a minute way to this level, because ultimately this is the essence of all of our service. So let's look at somebody who doesn't have this capacity. Ach, But he whose soul's root is of too limited a capacity, for this perfect service on the level of a chariot, so that through his service of Torah and mitzvahs, he be constantly nullified before and absorbed in Hashem's light. And the end of the sentence is going to be in a few more sentences, but the Altar is going to pause for a minute. So this person cannot be at this level of Atsilus because his soul root cannot constantly be in this mode of nullification. He doesn't have the capacity, and the key word here is constantly. He can't be in this constant state. The Alter Rebbe in a Hasidic discourse spoke about our patriarchs, and he said that they were a chariot at filu nasam, even in their sleep. There wasn't a moment when they weren't a chariot to the divine. So why did they have the capacity, and other people do not have the capacity? And the key words are over here. The root of his soul does not have the capacity. Why doesn't his soul have the capacity? Ultimately, every soul is rooted in Atsilas. If you look at the second chapter of Tanya, where the Alter Rebbe introduces us to the divine soul, he says, the soul of every Jew derives from Hashem's thought and wisdom. And here it refers to the wisdom of Atsilas. Every single soul is rooted in the world of Atsilas. And he writes in a Hasidic discourse, he says, how could you say that every single Jewish person literally has a part of the divine name Havaya, which is from literally from Atsilas? Most souls are not of Atsilas, but he says, nevertheless, Sharshan Kulam Me'atzilus Mamish. The source of all of them is literally from Atzilus. So, every Jewish soul is rooted in Atzilus. 
Why doesn't our soul's root have the capacity to be in that state of utter and total nullification at every single moment? And that's because as the soul travels down through the world to become clothed within a body, it takes on the nature of the world as it travels. So a soul that is of the world of Bria, let's say, comes from the world of Atsilas, descends to the world of Bria, and when it's in the world of Bria, takes on the consciousness of the world of Bria and no longer has its pristine consciousness of the world of Atsilas. It doesn't have the capacity anymore. If that soul is lucky enough to only have to take on that consciousness of the world of Bria, then it comes down through the rest of the world in what Hasidus calls Derech Maver, by way of passage. No stopovers. So if it takes a stopover in the world, some souls take a stopover just in the world of Bria. Other souls go lower than that to the world of Yetzirah, take a stopover there. Now they have an added diminished consciousness, that of the world of Yetzirah. And some souls even have to take on the consciousness of the world of Asiya, our lowest world. Whatever soul, whatever level they take on the consciousness, that becomes as if the root of their soul. Now that their soul is rooted in one of these lower worlds, it doesn't have the capacity to have the complete, deep, total surrender of the world of Atsilas. Not its fault. Doesn't have the capacity. However, let's see what the Alter Rebbe says. Rak lefrakim ve'itim shehem es ratzayin lamala. And he can therefore attain this state only intermittently, and only at times of divine favor on high. What does that mean? That means that he on his own lacks the capacity. However, there are times of divine favor where as if the world of Atsilas shines to him. And then he has capacities and capabilities that are beyond his actual inborn soul's nature. So for example, let's look at what our sages said about the splitting of the sea. There were unbelievable divine revelations at the splitting of the sea. Our Chachamim said, A lowly maidservant at the splitting of the sea beheld visions that the prophet Ezekiel, Yechezkel ben Buzi, did not see. What? Was she on a higher level than him? A lowly, let, let's compare them. Lowly maidservant, Prophet Yechezkel. She has higher visions than him. Is she on a higher level? Do you know what it takes in order to be a prophet? In order to have the spirit of prophecy rest upon you? Let's look at the words of the Rambam in Hilchas Yisraeli HaTera, chapter 7, where he describes prophecy. Prophecy is bestowed only upon a very wise sage of a strong character who is never overcome by his natural inclinations in any regard. Indeed, with his mind, he overcomes his natural inclinations at all times. He must also possess a very broad and accurate mental capacity. Okay, so that would be somewhat of a description of the prophet Yechaskel. Why did a maidservant have higher divine revelations than Yechaskel? Not because of her own merits, because it was a time of divine favor. And Hashem revealed things 
that were beyond the natural capacity of those who were receiving it. So let's look at a soul who is rooted in a world lower than Atsilas. It doesn't have the capacity to nullify totally in existence. It's beyond its scope. It's beyond its ken. It cannot. However, there are times of divine favor where it suddenly has this ability, not because of itself, but because the light of Atsilas, as it were, is shining down upon it. Now let's look at one of those times. Uchamai betfilash shmaina esrei shehiba atzilas, such as during the Shemona esrei prayer, which is at the level of atzilas. The four rungs in the ladder of prayer correspond to the four worlds. The prayers preceding Baruch Sha'amar correspond to Asiya, the lowest world. The verses of praise, those are Pesuke de Zimra, correspond to the world of Yetzirah. Shema and its blessings to Berea, and Shimona Esrei is at the level of Atsilas. So Kabbalah compares prayer to, as in the words of, of the dream of Yaakov Avinu, how the Torah recounts his dream. It says, He beheld Sula Mutzav Arza, Bereshe Magia Hashemaima. There was a ladder standing on the ground, but his head was reaching heavenwards. That is prayer. Prayer is a traverse through the four worlds. It's a journey through the four worlds. It starts at the lowest level of Asiya, and step by step, a person climbs up the spiritual opportunities until he reaches the level of Shimona Esrei. And that is the level of Atsilas. That's a time of divine favor where a person who naturally lacks the ability to reach the consciousness of Atsilas. And the consciousness of Atsilas is really complete lack of sensation, in the words of the Rebbe Rashav, filthy morgash, no experience at all, has no capacity for that. But in the Shimona Esrei prayer, he has the capacity for that. Now, if you look at Jewish law, how Jewish law prescribes our behavior during Shimona Esrei, it is very much in tune with that. A person stands still, they talk in a whisper, because these are physical expressions of the divine reality at that time, the true nature of things. We may not feel it, but that is what is happening at that time. And our Chachamim have taught us to align our physical behavior to express the true nature of reality that's happening. I mean, we can see examples of that in our physical world, like a woman is in labor, right? And then the labor coach or the midwife will tell her what to do at different times. They're telling her to do things that she may, because she's too confused or in too much pain, she may not be in tune with what's happening at that time so that she can physically make the most of those opportunities. So those who are assisting her in birth see what's going on. They have a lot of experience. They see reality and they're saying, align your behavior to get the most out of reality. So that's Shimona Esrei. Shimona Esrei is the difference between somebody who thinks about the king and somebody who suddenly sees the king. Somebody who thinks about the king, and we're talking about a true king, somebody of a noble character, a regal person, a benevolent king. The person thinks about him as, wow, he's so wowed by him, he has emotions of awe for him. He has emotions of endearment towards the king. 
but he retains his own private existence. There's still him who thinks or feels about the king. Suddenly he finds himself in front of the king. He's dumbstruck. He can't even speak. He doesn't even feel himself at that time. He just loses himself. That's Shimona Esrei. At that time, there are opportunities to become totally nullified before Hashem. And so our behavior is supposed to reflect that. We talk in a whisper. We stand still. Now that sounds very good. But did you ever look at the Shimona Esrei prayer? Because we're talking about you totally lose your sense of self. You forget about all your needs. Do you know what Shimona Esrei is about? Shimona Esrei is Bakasha Srechav. Asking for your needs. What? I thought this is the world of Atsilas. I thought this is a place where we don't sense ourselves anymore. Why are we asking for our needs? And this is a profound idea that is explained initially by the Magad of Mezrich. This is the teacher of the Alter Rebbe, and the Alter Rebbe expounds on this idea and really brings it out. The Magad of Mezrich quotes the Mishnah and Brachas that says, a person should not get up to pray except having first a mind frame of submission, of gravity. And he reads into that mystically and he says, you don't get up to pray except out of one mind frame. The honor of the head of all heads, the Shekhinah. When you pray, you're really praying for the sake of the Shekhinah. And the Alter Rebbe talks about this. And he said, look, look at the prayers that our sages instituted. One second, I want to go back and say that prayer is a divine commandment, a biblical commandment. It's midairaisa if somebody has a need. So if somebody is poor, God forbid, and they, they, don't, they lack livelihood, they are obligated biblically to ask Hashem for what they need. If somebody needs healing, they are biblically obligated to ask for healing. But the blessings of Shimona Esrei, we're asking for knowledge, we're asking for health, we're asking for bountiful produce, which is sustenance. This is across the board. Our sages instituted that everybody say all these blessings every single day. Why? And the Altarba asked this question. He said, what if somebody is wealthy? Why is he you know, begging for good produce? He has what he needs. Why are you asking for that? Because the truth of the prayer of Shimona Esrei is all about Hashem's glory. The Alter Rebbe writes, The honor of the blessed creator. Really, every single blessing is about divine downflow. Pulling down divine revelation in this world. He says, A revelation of his blessed divinity. And therefore, when we pray, we are trying to pull down divine revelation in this world, and it is for the sake of Hashem. And he explains that when a year is blessed with all goodness, when we, say, when we make Birchas Hashem in the blessing of the years, and we ask Hashem to bless the produce, when a year is blessed with all goodness, that is a manifestation of Hashem's divinity in this world. When a person is in good health, that is a manifestation of Hashem's divinity. When Hashem gathers in the exiles, that is a manifestation of his greatness. And that should be our true intent in prayer. Now, you're going to say, listen, we're just ordinary people. And when I'm asking Hashem for my needs, 
I'm asking Hashem literally for my needs. And that's true. That's normal. That's the starting point. Prayer is a ladder. We start at the starting point. We are sincerely asking for our needs. But in our mind of minds, in our deepest space, we should recognize that we, our, our soul is considered a limb of the Shekhinah. And when we are in a good place, when our soul is healthy, when our soul has all its needs, then the Shekhinah's limb is in perfect health. And that when we get everything that we need and we are in a good place and everything that we have is blessed, then Hashem's greatness is manifest through us. And so yes, we're normal. We're going to be asking for our everyday needs, but we should realize that our deepest intent really is for the glory of Hashem. That we want His divinity to be manifest in this world. We want Hashem's greatness to shine in this world. And that shines when we are in a place of good fortune, manifest good fortune. So yes, Tefillah Shemayin Esrei is really in the world of Atzilas. Tefillah Shemayin Esrei, the Amidah prayer, is a time of divine favor where a person actually has access to utter and total surrender of self. If someone taps into that opportunity, they can actually be in a space where they naturally don't have the capacity for that. They wouldn't be able to lose their identity. Their soul is rooted in a lower world. But this is a time where Atsilas shines. And if a person works on themselves enough, they actually have access to utter and total nullification of existence. And the altar now specifies and especially when bowing down in the four designated places in this prayer, for every such act of bowing represents the level of Atsilas, as is written in Pri Chaim in the section dealing with the welcoming of Shabbat. So in general, the whole Amida prayer is the world of Atsilas, but especially during the bowings. There are four times that we bow during Shimon Esrei at the beginning and the end of Avais, the blessing of the patriarchs, and the beginning and end of Haida'a, the thanksgiving blessing. And these times are times where we truly manifest nullification to him. Let's look at prostration, bowing down, especially the way they bowed down in the Holy Temple. That was complete prostration with head and feet on the same level. Head represents the intellect. Feet represent our lowest faculty, the faculty of action. A person who is totally surrendered, everything about them is then on the same level. If somebody who serves, if somebody serves Hashem with their mind, which we should, somebody serves, is able to generate intellectual feelings of awe and love for him, then how are they going to say that their power of intellect is on the same level as their power of action? It's their power of intellect that allows them to have these kind of emotions. But somebody who loses an independent sense of self and reaches the level of Merkava, of chariot, then their mind and their power of action, totally on the same level. And this is the act of prostration. So bowing down during the Shimona Esrei prayer represents 
the divine reality, the spiritual reality that is available at that time. And that's why our Chachamim instituted to bow down. And those times of bowing are special opportune times for somebody to access something that they cannot normally access. For it embodies the idea of self-nullification in God's light to be accounted as absolutely not before him. Okay, so this was kind of a caveat because we said somebody whose soul's root is of too limited capacity for this perfect service, the sentence now ends here. Then where is his principal abode? Not in the world of, Yitz- of Atzilas, the principal abode is in the world of Berea. But before the altar finished his sentence, he did say that they do have opportunities to reach the level of Atzilas, even though they normally could not. So during Shimona Esrei prayer, they have the capacity, not the capacity, they have the opportunity to reach levels of total nullification. And those are times of divine favor. But on a normal basis, that's not their constant service. So therefore, In the case of he who can attain the level of a chariot only at such propitious times, then even at these times, the principal abode of his soul is in the world of Bria. For we are dealing here with a soul associated with the world of Bria. And only occasionally, at a time of divine favor, will his soul rise to Atsilas as feminine waters, as is known to the students of Kabbalah. So first we were looking at this person, how they serve Hashem in this world, and then we're looking at their soul. Where is their principal abode in the next world. This person, how do they serve Hashem in this world? Normally they're on the high level of Bria, intellectual service of Hashem where they generate emotions based on the understanding of their intellect. They are not able to be in the world of Atsilas because Atsilas is beyond the intellect, beyond the grasp of the intellect. The only way to be there is to not be, to have no existence of your own. A person like that, normally cannot access that because his soul root is of too limited capacity to reach that level. But there are times where they grab the opportunity of divine favor and access that level, such as the time of the Amida prayer, Shimona Esrei, and especially during the bowing down of that time, then they have access to service of the world of Atsilas. So too in the next world. Even though their principal abode is in the world of Bria, there are times of divine favor where the soul will rise to the world of Atsilas in the aspect of Mayan Nukvin, feminine waters. So what does that mean? Kabbalah talks about two different kinds of relationships. There is Mayan Dukhrin, which means masculine waters, and Mayan Nukvin, which is feminine waters. Mayan Dukhrin, the masculine waters, is when Hashem initiates the relationship. It's the male form of relationship of initiation. Mayan Nukfin, female waters, represents our service when we, as it were, rise up to him to respond to an opportunity. It's our own efforts from below. So while it would be nice that every single time we dive in Shimona Esrei, 
we would automatically be in that space of total nullification before him. That's not how it works. What is Shimona Esrei? Shimona Esrei is a special divine opportunity. It's yours for the taking, but you have to work for it. Same thing, the souls in the next world. There are times of divine favor where they have the opportunity of rising to a level beyond their own. But they have to take the opportunity in the way of Mayan Nukvin, feminine waters. They have to access that and reach up from below in order to access the world of Atilas. So a soul who served Hashem, normally with the intellect, but on occasion was able to access Atilas in this world. In the next world, their principal abode is in the world of Bria. But times of, at times of divine favor, if they grab the opportunity and respond with feminine waters... They have access as well to the world of Atsilas. So let's wrap up what we said today. And by the way, next class, we're going to start bringing this all together, realizing that everything we talked about is not just a very thrilling exploration of Kabbalistic ideas, but they are very highly motivational and pertain to us so that our everyday regular life reflect something new that we understand, that we implement based on the things that we learned and understood. Alder was going to tell us, you know, all these things, we have no business exploring hidden matters. It has to do with, this has bearing on our service. This has bearing and implications on our everyday behavior. We're going to take all these things that we learn and we're going to try to use it in favor of in order to propel our service of Hashem even stronger and better, in order to affect our everyday behavior, our everyday way of thinking, our everyday way of speaking, our everyday consciousness. So I'm going to wrap up what we said today. And we talked about that the world of Atsilas, which really is the highest of worlds, not even a world, a world which is so beyond the intellect, doesn't allow for any existence other than Hashem, is nevertheless the abode of great tzaddikim. How do tzaddikim have an abode? How do these great tzaddikim have an abode in the world of Atsilas? Because their service of Hashem was way beyond the intellect and understanding, just like Atsilas is way beyond intellect and understanding. Their service of Hashem was on the level of Merkava, a chariot. They were totally nullified and incorporated within Hashem's light. And because all their being, they and everything they had was just an expression of Hashem throughout their lives, they are inhabitants of that world, which is just an expression of Hashem. However, there are souls who do not have the capacity, in fact, most souls do not have the capacity to dwell in the world of Atsilas, to access that kind of self-nullification. Nevertheless, there are times of divine favor where a soul of a limited capacity can actually access that level of nullification in existence. For example, during the Shimona Esrei prayer, and especially during the times where a person bows, then they have access to something that's normally beyond their natural capacity. And so too in the next world, even though their principal abode is going to be in the world of Bria, there are times of divine favor where if they access it, and they exercise feminine waters, responding to the opportunity that is available to them in the next world, then even though their principal abode is in the world of Bria, they rise up at times to the world of Atsilas.